I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, I'm Julie Gould and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. Welcome to the series Beyond Academia where we explore the movement of people between academia and other sectors. Martin Gosling was focused on basic research, on iron channel research for the early part of his scientific career in academia. His PhD looked at iron channels in bone, his postdoc was on iron channels in blood vessels. But it wasn't until his lectureship position at Imperial College London when he started to look at the translational aspect of his work. In terms of, okay, we've got some ideas about um, various fundamental processes of diseases, how can we start to access funding to look for the molecules that will impact on this process? And And back then, there wasn't a huge amount of large-scale funding for drug discovery projects um, in academia, which, from my perspective, was um, a little bit frustrating. And although he enjoyed being an academic at the time... Um, The balance between research, teaching and and admin, um, for me personally, was a little bit out of kilter. So he took the plunge. He moved through the porous barrier into industry and joined Novartis in 2001, where he spent almost 13 years working on iron channels, but also slowly moving further and further away from the research that he enjoyed doing. So when Novartis decided to move the department he was working with to the USA, he and a few other colleagues decided to stay. So along with one of my then Novartis colleagues, um, Henry Danahay, um, and my ex-colleague Clive McCarthy, the three of us formed a biotech company with the aim of of seeking venture capital funding um, and starting to continue to work to discover new therapies for respiratory diseases. Clearly, this didn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of work, effort and learning to start up a new company. To get the business plans, leveraging networks of friends, etc. That, that kind of knew a lot more about biotech than, than the three of us did. We hadn't worked in biotech before. So to help support this adventure with biotech company Enterprise Therapeutics, Martin went back to academia. He became a professor and joined a University of Sussex research group. That was actively set up by the university to pursue drug discovery. Two months after starting at the university, Um, our biotech company got its first round of venture capital funding um, and I was able to combine the two roles together. Um, The biotech company ended up having a very strong relationship with the University of Sussex um, where we did some of our basic research. It was funded by the biotech company. It appeared to be a dream come true. 
But although dreams are exciting, they aren't always easy. It was kind of interesting because everything we did was new, at, at times frightening and at other times incredibly exciting. Um, the thing that was, was really great was the decision making. Um, it was apparent that we had some deficits in, in our skill sets. We were good at science, um, but we needed help with finances and we needed help in terms of actually taking our science and building it into a company. So we recruited a, a CFO and a CEO to help us build the company out. And over time, it became too much for Martin to wear both academic and biotech hats. So his academic professorship role became an honorary one, and he now spends all of his time working in the biotech company. But that doesn't mean he's cut all of the ties with the university. Just because you don't actually work at a university doesn't mean it's inaccessible. There are holes in that membrane that you could just reach a hand through. So I think the lines of, 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 of over the last couple of decades have just become increasingly blurred. Um, it's also been a case that I think industry has rec recognised that um, collaboration with academia is, is, is really, really important. And most firms have initiatives where they actively encourage um, academics to approach them with new ideas or if they've They've got some, some assets or they feel that the, the company has a technology that they can um, utilise to further their research. Um, and that, that's been great to see. Interacting with those people who have made a, a single target, for example, you know, the focus of their life, have that, that incredibly deep expertise and understanding. If that then becomes the, the next hottest target, then those people, they're, they're pivotal to realising the potential for that. And they may not, in some cases they may, but in other cases they may not be the people that are best placed to realise the potential of their more academic research interests and, and discoveries. Javier Garcia Martinez agrees. He has worked across the two sectors in the world of chemical engineering. Whilst working as a professor of chemistry at the University of Alicante in Spain in 2006, Javier set up a spin-off company called Rive Technologies out of MIT, where he had previously spent some time working as a postdoc before he moved to Spain. For him, the work in his spin-off company in industry and the work in academia were intricately linked, and working across the two sectors felt incredibly natural to him. These are not two different worlds. I never had the feeling I was doing two different things. It was always the same thing. I was studying, discovering better catalysts, you know, in my academic lab, also in my company, and at the same time talking to customers, to investors, to raise money and to put that into a commercial plan. So to me, it feels all part of the same thing. It's our own mindset that puts different activities in different silos. We do this in our everyday lives too. We try to compartmentalise our activities so that we can tackle them better. We put on one metaphorical hat for one task and then take that hat off before putting on the other metaphorical hat to handle a different task. I do it with my children and my work all the time. One hat for work, one hat for kids. But really, they're all part of one big hat system. My system, my work, my life. And each part of that life influences the other all the time. And Javier believes the same. His work in industry impacts his work in academia and vice versa. Being an academic made me a better entrepreneur, it gave me rigor, allowed me to understand my catalyst better. It gave me the right way of overcoming difficult challenges, but at the same time, 
being in industry, I think, has made me a much better educator because now I have a better understanding of how industry operates and in the chemical sector that's critically important. And I think the students also realize and actually notice where, when uh, a faculty member has some industrial experience, it's just not the content that you can convey or you can teach. It's also attitudes, it's a mindset, it's a much global perspective, it's seeing the problem from different angles. The benefits of collaborations and cross-sector working are clear, but it's not easy. There are different groups of people you will work with, each with different working cultures and goals. You know, when you are working with your students, your PhD students, completely different when you are dealing with your co-workers or with investors. So you need to be ready to learn to deal with different cultures and different and people who come with different objectives. Different people will be there because they have different goals, right? So you need to recognise that. But by facing these challenges, says Javier, there are many skills that you can gain, like how to manage your own time and set up your priorities, to recognise your weaknesses and to delegate. So maybe you cannot be doing everything or you cannot do it now. Working in teams is extremely important. You need to realise that you cannot do everything your own. That's a mistake it's typical from academics, right? So we do many things. We do research, te- teaching, administration, and we feel that we, we can do everything. So you need to be humble. You need to realize that maybe you will be just, you know, the, the chief scientist of your own company, but you're not going to be running it. So to be humble and recognize what you can do. Taking on this challenge will also give you some perspective of what's important in your working career, says Javier. When you're a full-time academic, your work is driven by the need to publish. But this isn't as important when you spend time in industry. Maybe you're not going to publish as much, but maybe you will have more patents or you will have a company. So you need to recognise your CV will be more diverse. It will be different. And in a way, I think it's better because um, we are looking at CVs every day and it's very difficult to win the publication race, right? Who has more publication? That's a difficult win, um, race to win. But maybe your CV is going to be richer. You're going to have you know, experiences that other people don't have. Nessa Carey, who we've heard from in previous episodes in this series, is excited about the collaborative efforts between the sectors. Those are hugely valuable, both in terms of income to universities. So in the UK, for example, that brings about £1.3 billion a year, at least, to the universities. But they're also hugely valuable in that they stimulate greater productivity, they stimulate greater inventiveness, and they create a situation where the more that two sectors work together, the more comfortable they get working together. So it's really creating much more of partnership models and much more opportunities just to appreciate the strengths of the other side. A very recent collaboration came as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So a classic example at the moment would be the development of the AstraZeneca vaccine that was done completely hand in hand with the University of Oxford. And that's a very big profile, big high profile example of where the two sectors aren't operating separately. They're really working on the edges of both their expertise to create something greater than they could do if they only operated on their own. And we see that replicated at all sorts of levels from those huge collaborations all the way down to very small collaborations between industry and academia. 
where both parties are working for the same purpose. They have a shared aim and a shared outcome that they want to reach. One of the longest running collaborations between academia and industry in the UK is the Division of Signal Transduction Therapy at the University of Dundee in Scotland, which has been running since 1998. This division, which was set up as a collaboration between academia and pharmaceutical companies, has been directed by Dario Alessi since 2012. And he told me that in order to run successful collaborations, the key ingredients are trust and communication. Firstly, for us and the companies we work with, there's a strong desire to collaborate for, you know, from the outset. We, we have these complementary technologies and approaches, and we want to work together to uh, take an idea into a potential drug target. Um, so we know we have to work together to, to achieve that. And, uh, and then often with the project at the beginning, it's super exciting, everything's working, you have a plan that looks good, and then you often run into some serious unexpected difficulties, you know, quite early on and maybe late on. And, uh, you know, you have to take a step back and very hard, a lot, lot of hard work is often needed to, 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 to overcome these, the, the, these hurdles that you come across. And communication can't be underestimated either. I think for every project I work on with the company, I make sure we have um, one or two hour monthly meetings with, with the company where every team member involved in the projects attends. We present all the data, all the problems we have. And it's, it's, it's having that discussion, even if things aren't working, but the company sees that you're putting your really heart into the project and you're trying everything possible. The, the postdocs are working really hard and you know everything is being done to, to try and address the problem. They'll understand that. And uh, you know, I, you know, I think that 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 helps a lot as well. You know, in maintaining dialogue and uh, keeping both sides, you you know, quite happy. And um, yeah, no, I, I think those are the 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 key things, the the key ingredients that that are needed to uh, maintain a, a long term project. Another type of collaboration comes with data. There are companies that collect data on all our daily activities. They have become part of society. And one of these companies is Facebook. They have, in the last few years, started working with academics, sharing their data to better understand what is happening in society and how it, the company, can benefit society. But also, the company wants to be transparent. Chaya Nayak is head of Facebook's Open Research and Transparency team, and they work with researchers using three different models of collaboration. We recognize that independent research is really important. And what we're trying to do, especially on the open research and transparency team, is build pathways where we can provide data access to researchers so that they can analyze the data, retain their independence, and then publish without any of our input, except a review to make sure that they're not any, violating any privacy issues. We do collaborative partnerships with researchers where we say, we want to come together, use our mutually or use our kind of skill sets um, that we each have in order to produce something that we think will be beneficial to society. And then there are also times where academics will join Facebook as contractors in order to work on either research for a particular product that we have, or um, to be able to do research in partnership with our research organizations inside of the company. They use all three of these models because there is no one size fits all, says Chaya. We don't think that one model is 100% correct. 
um, and can be used all the time. For instance, collaborations are really important because there might be information that a Facebook researcher knows that an independent researcher doesn't know or can't know. Um, independence is important because we want to make sure that there is independent and credible research about Facebook and our impact on society. And then sometimes having the researcher come into the company, for instance, if they're advising on a product, is also really beneficial to us. And so we think all three models are really important. Collaborations, as we've heard, aren't easy. Yes, trust and communication are key ingredients, but there are fundamental differences in cultures across the sectors that might mean things get lost in translation. And in the next episode of this series, we're going to look at what those fundamental differences are and how the people running the collaborations can help smooth them. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>